The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your trio of co-hosts on this 48th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you may be situated on the other side of the planet. As the dawn chorus begins to warm up here, hopefully many of you are relaxing into your evening, eager to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I'll soon be joined by co-host and producer Kinthia, together with host and researcher Anetta Driscoll, who are speaking this evening as usual from the infamous wheelhouse in the Bay Area. This show is entitled Heartbeat of the Heavens. Depending on where you are, you may be slightly confused to know if this is the pandemic hoax has reached the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. Boots on the, on the ground truth is so important. If you are in Sweden, the COVID rules are strangely being tightened. However, if you're in Texas, you are no longer required to wear a mask, an unhealthy mask, antisocial distance, and businesses are being encouraged to reopen 100%. It's great to hear at least some puppet leaders have been reunited with their common sense. For those who are COVID believers, they will no doubt expect an imminent huge spike in deaths in Texas. However, for those who are still in contact with their critical faculties, and see the COVID business for what it is, will wish to congratulate Texas for hopefully setting a very much needed trend in the right direction. I do not rule out the possibility, however, the minority may attempt to use Texas as a sacrificial lamb to coerce the rest of the states to ultimately adopt mandatory RNA manipulation under the umbrella of an untested vaccination. While I have no wish to be a killjoy I simply believe it is essential for us all to keep our radar and moral compass on high alert at all times. However, if this is a genuine cessation, then of course I'm absolutely delighted. If you are still a fully paid up member of the mainstream social media and still spending hours of your day soaking up the heavily sanitized propaganda under the guise of your extended 15 minutes of fame, then you will most likely have reached a new level of perpetual Theorgasm based on the rampant COVID variants. 
seem to miraculously migrate despite the useless masks, anti-social distancing, restricted travel and strangulation of the world economy. I did have to laugh this week when I heard the Brazilian variant that is reported to be so dangerous in the UK has not even been heard of in Brazil. However, there is apparently a British variant in Brazil that has not even been heard of in the UK. So, is COVID now running an exchange screen? Joke aside, presumably, if either variant is real, then how could this exchange have occurred with such surgical precision? Did an airline pilot contract both variants and travel between Rio and London and back? Uh, surely not, as these flights are not in service. So was COVID-laden RSVP envelope responsible for both variants? Or is this simply yet another very weak cause of yet more fear porn in an attempt to keep people caged up while they watch the intended destruction of their status and economy around them, only to be soothed by the onslaught uh, of RNA manipulation pretending to be a safe vaccination, if there is such a thing. Unfortunately, as we continue to progress through these early chapters of this mass murder mystery, the main storyline will only just be coming into focus for many. First, the intended controlled demolition of our old normal. The minority then intends to build back better, introduce the new normal, hand in hand with the fourth industrial revolution. According to the perpetrators, this is not a matter of choice for us. And their storyboard has been made almost ritually visible to those who are aware a long, long time ago. Many would say years, some would say decades, and to some connoisseurs, this script goes back to the dawn of our recorded time. Even the world banks have openly set out their financial plan to deal with this event until 2025. Do you really believe cancel culture is something new? Surely it's just a 21st century term for book burning. Those who are under the spell or even support the cabal of this world, or the minorities I define them, are busy with cleaning up history to hide our evolution and origins, from books to statues to rice brands, and now even Dr. Seuss. Surely this man was more of a creative genius than a danger to humanity. And if Dr. Seuss is to be considered a danger to humankind, then in what shitty light do the minority's high achievers stand in today? While humanity is clearly far from perfect, our history is one of the very few conduits we can use to pass on what we've learned from one living generation to the next. As a race, we have collectively made almost every mistake in the book, literally. However, if our warts and farts start disappearing, leaving no such remaining references, are future generations to assume their here and now will be perfect? If so, welcome to the Matrix, everyone. It is quite amazing to think how we are about to enter our second spring from a northern hemispherical perspective. A year ago to the day I arrived in Miami International Airport, having taken off from a rather deserted Milano airport, which you may recall was at the heart of the alleged red zone of Italy. At that time, there were very few checks, as this pandemic was quite new. And as we were understandably very much more naive than now, I did choose to self-quarantine in my hotel 
for around two weeks just in case, as the mainstream propaganda had already begun. I recall enjoying two clear weeks of pure design time, despite being occasionally distracted by the 24-7 spring break parties going on in my vicinity and at the beach. I now look back at the immense amount of data we have researched, found and shared with you since our first slightly bumpy live broadcast of the other side of the news, most of which has since been heavily censored. Fortunately, we have copied and continue to copy this data onto secure servers, which simply put, firmly places the L in second character position of the word pandemic. At first, it was challenging to find academicists who were willing to speak the truth. However, as regular listeners will know, not only have we shared thousands of links, we are also joined by acclaimed and respected guests every week. Why do we do this? Because what started out as a gut reaction, a suspicion, and a strong instinct was very quickly validated by facts, facts that despite their attempted censorship, continue to discern the truth from the lies that show that this pandemic is a hoax, used as a distraction in an attempt to power grab our freedom, to intentionally harm our society, and to usher in a new world order against our will. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential wakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white The Other Side of the News show banner. There you will see details for the show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. We positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future. During the last week, we have been inundated by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up the entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our guest, Dr. James DeMeo. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. Have you discovered any new variants this week? Maybe one from Hollywood? <laughs> well, boy, it's hard not to discover stuff this week, isn't it? I mean, it's been a wild week. I'm starting to sound like a broken record with that. Every week I think, gosh, how much more can happen and how much faster can it happen? I will say I have a, a whole bunch that I'd like to talk about, and I probably won't get to most of it. On a positive side, I will say that people are actually coming to me now, and I'm meeting people, and people are opening up to the truth. Like they haven't been willing to previous to this time. At least that's my experience. And I'm in California, uh, where it's been very closed down and people haven't been wanting to listen and they're not really hearing stuff. And I'm, I'm saying now and I'm hearing it and experiencing it that it's very much changing. And I've said in previous shows that if we would all just talk to one person on a one to one basis 
and explain and help them understand what's really going on that the people that were awake and know what's uh, and have an understanding of this would double every day and that would be amazing so i wanted to kind of go over a few things um like i like i like to in this section uh i found some interesting stuff you know i like researching so last week i presented a bunch of stuff from the cdc about the um increased death toll and destruction of the jab that's that's going on every every week and i i think that that's always going to keep going on and we kind of covered that last week and i don't want to belabor that because as long as people keep getting the jab we're going to keep hearing this and it's going to keep rising but i also wanted to point out that in the cdc they own 56 patents on vaccines they own the they own the patents and many of them and many of the scientists at the cdc or royalties from this. There's a fairly big conflict of interest there, I would say. And then the other thing is, is with the, uh, with all of that, we've got, um, we have all the conflict of interest as far as all these other patents. So I just wanted to talk about one, the patent for the CV19 test kit, which is the famous PCR test kit. It's held by Richard A. Rothschild and it was filed October 13th, 2015. And it's dated for 2020. And in case you think that I'm making this up, I, I usually, you know, I like to document this stuff. It's U.S. patent number 2020279585. And it's an A1 because it's been modified. So, you know, I've talked about this. I've talked about the invoicing of these, these test kits way ahead of time. I've talked about a lot of the financial stuff and i and i just want to point this out because for those that think that this can't possibly be a collaborative effort on the part of the elite or the minority we we absolutely know it it can be and the you know we have we want to do a show by the way coming up on the mockingbird media and uh talk about that because they walk in lockstep you know there's the rockefeller report that came out in 2010 and they were locking they were walking in lockstep then and they showed us how they showed the elite how the the elite showed the uh their their minions i should say and you know the media certainly is doing that so we have all that going on so i just kind of want to point that out another thing that's going on that's really interesting i don't want to belabor the the covid thing because you know we've talked about it every single show but one more thing um, I had talked about nursing home things last week in a fair amount of detail in mortuaries. And I wanted to point out that there was a second jab done. And uh, I refuse to call it the V word because it's actually not. And I would like to cover that in the future show. But uh, there are they had 46 people died out of 145 in a nursing home in Spain on their second dose. And they, they stopped all the second doses. I mean, that's like one third of the people died from having a vaccine and so and and there there's all kinds of stuff that's coming out photographs of people it's pretty gruesome when you see what they look like when they die too from this this is not an easy death so another thing about that and, and i'm kind of going on about this but uh, you know we knew that the pfizer ceos uh, sold over 60 percent of his shares in the days after the vaccine was released. And now Warren Buffett has also sold his holdings. So, you know, go and figure from there. I'm just saying, use your critical thinking. I want to talk about how COVID has been used as the great reset, because I think that's what we're really looking at. And 
were looking at a worldwide thing, a worldwide phenomenon that they had a plan. So this isn't just about the United States. I can go on and on about the election, you know, and I, I get asked this question all the time. People are very concerned about this, and rightfully so. It's like, why, are, why don't they even care about the election? No matter what side you're on, you should care that it's a free and fair election. And there's, you know, when they're, now they're saying they're, they're not even denying that there was cheating on it. And now they're just saying there wasn't enough cheating. Well, who says how much is enough cheating? I mean, one, one can ask these questions. And I think this is why people are really starting to question everything. And when you question one thing, you're questioning everything. Because this is all connected up to each other. So all of this is going on. We've got a lot of stuff going on with the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. You know, it's supposed to be a separate branch of government without bias, not ruled by political associations, guided only by the Constitution. So what's going on? Why is it silenced, censored, shamed? You know, you're called a conspiracy theorist if you even bring this up. Why don't they have any power? Well, you know, there's a, we, we've talked about it on the show before that quite possibly we're dealing with a defunct corporation and that they truly don't have any power. Many of us, I'm one of them, that feels that the executive order um, 13848 was actually brought into play and we actually are under military rule right now. We've got a so-called president who's never given a press conference, who's never given a State of the Union address. That's not even constitutional. He needed to have that done last week. Um, so and that was the last possible time. So we've got a total dereliction of duty from the Supreme Court. We have a POTUS that doesn't seem to be doing much of anything, can't seem to remember much. And the rest of the world's looking at us going, you know, what's going on, right? So this is a really, really interesting time. And I have tons and tons of notes, which I'm not going to go into all that. But what I'll say is that when you're over the target, you know, the heat really comes on. And I'll tell you right now, I have a lot of friends that are in this that are, you know, they all have different shows, etc. And the censorship is is unbelievable, as most of you know. But right now, the censorship's really, really focused on on two things. It's really interesting. It's really focused on the jab and trafficking, human trafficking. And so, what I think when you're over the when you're over the target, they really come after you when you're on the truth. I mean, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. That was from George Orwell. I always like to throw a quote in there. So we're seeing a lot of that. And, you know, we're hearing things like there's 13,000 13, unaccompanied miters at the border, and they're letting them in. And they say, this is um, Biden's um, Department of Human Services nominee is saying, that loving parents sent them to America for a better life. And I'm going to call it for what it is. That's bullshit, okay? That's not true. Loving parents don't send their kids across a dangerous border by themselves because they're loving. That's called child trafficking. And so, you know, you as we get into this and, and we see this open up further and further, and we're going to see a lot of stuff opening up uh, in the next few weeks. I hope, I believe we are, and I hope we are. So. I'm going to leave you with a little thing about cancel culture since Mr. Potato Head's not, not okay anymore and Dr. Seuss isn't okay anymore and, you know, I've never believed in masks. They've never been okay. So I'm going to read you a little funny and I hope you'll enjoy it. I will not wear it on my face. I will not wear it any place. 
I will not wear it to get in. I will not wear it on my chin. I will not wear it on my ear. I will not wear it out of fear. I will not wear your stupid mask. I will not wear it. Do not ask. And with that, Cynthia probably has some things to say here. I do. I do. Good evening, all. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm really excited to bring on our guests later. I have to say that this is just getting more and more personal in the sense of family. Is like I know two families where one of the parents feels adamant that against the vaccine and against masks, and the other parent is on the other side of the fence. So what does that mean? The children are caught in this tug of war to vaccinate the children or not to vaccinate the children. Either way you go, you've got one parent who's upset. And and as I mentioned, in my own home, I have a an interesting debate going on with my youngest son. I love dearly because he is so earnest and authentic. So he has brought the the gauntlet down even a little further. He said that he's going to contribute his check. That the, oh, I'm blanking. Bribery. Yeah. The well, anyway, that you know that they they that's right. The bribery Pacify check from the check. government. Yeah. If I can prove to him that the overall death toll, not just the COVID deaths, but the overall death toll is greater than it has been in the last two years. And this is a topic I want to take up with Dr. James DeMeo because he brought up some really interesting insights when we happened to have a brief conversation. So uh, it's the opportunity here to bring some clarity. And for me personally, it's like, how do I hold the loving position for those who are trapped on either side of this fence? How do I be respectful in such a way that they can hear me and I can hear them and we can come to the truth, not just be in an echo chamber listening to what we want to say, but listening to each other? Because I do know that the people that I'm speaking to, not only my son, but another friend who's I've known him for 50 plus years and some others, I do know that they're very earnest in their path, but it's such a, it's such a contrast and it really makes a strong argument for parallel universes. (laughs) I, I can't seem to let that idea go. So anyway, I would like to go ahead and introduce Dr. James DeMeo, so you have a sense of who he is. And if we have time before the break, we'll bring him on, if not right after the break. Kintia, so, before you so, do, may I just make another point? Of course. Point? Because news is changing all the time. The world is very dynamic. I see that Texas is not alone in giving up the uh, lockdown mandates as well, that there are other states coming ahead now. I was literally just reading about it a couple of minutes before the show started. So that's good news. I do hope these are genuine openings. Another thing I'd like to add is in Turkey this week, midweek, suddenly, miraculously, some of the curfew restrictions were dropped, which had been in place since uh, sort of the middle of December. So now tomorrow, well, actually today, because it's very early here, will be the first Saturday for around two and a half, three months where people can actually go out at the weekend. Sunday is still a lockdown day, but you know, the Saturday is a... A, uh, a free day again. Yes, there are some restrictions, but 
you know, at least people can go out and take a walk, which would be good. That's going on. At the same time in the UK, schools are looking like they're going to open up fairly soon, but children are going to be forced, not forced, but pretty much forced to wear masks and also do bi-weekly PCR tests or similar. And of course, we have that lovely video that came from, certainly sponsored by Microsoft. There's a surprise. Uh, I think it came out of uh, California, Los Angeles, I believe it was, where Microsoft has made a sort of a video to explain how children need to now have a day pass in order to actually go to school, to return to school. If they're clear, if they come back with a PCR negative, then they can actually go to school for that day. They have a ticket for the day. And also, one more thing is in the background in Israel, this vaccine passport is going to a sort of frenzy level. A lot of people are saying that this is perhaps a uh, like a forerunner of how it may be in other countries, or it may be a future state that other countries wish to follow. So while all this is happening, while the rules are being strangled tighter in some places, and even Sweden, as I mentioned earlier, which was a surprise, you know, it's amazing to see how Texas is releasing, releasing the, the, the stringent rules. So I just wanted to add that in before we, before we march onwards. Well, I'm glad you did. And actually, there's another link of yours that I, I'd like to share and bring attention to, which gave me great hope. And it's showcasing a, a woman in Spain that they were trying to arrest and observing what the people around her do. It gives me great hope to know that they stood up to the police and they actually got the police to back off, the shouting, Libertad, Libertad. So, yes, <laughs> there is movement. Absolutely, there is movement. It's grand. That is grand. Excellent. Yes. yes, the news around the world. There are those who are actively, you know, resisting. Just in, as in Canada last week, when Darlene brought us all that information. So around the world, we are creating new families, new nucleuses of those who are paying attention and doing what we can to keep us all free. And I'm so you grateful know. for that. Another thing on the worldwide front, I, I, I wanted to add this in, is that we've heard a lot about uh, Myanmar, but uh, people, I don't think they're aware that the same thing is happening in Ecuador, Haiti, and Somalia, that they have all said, no, our, our elections are fraudulent. They have, they've been on Smartmatic uh, software, and they have overthrown their governments over it. So this is, this is very global right now, which is, which is quite exciting. So uh, we're seeing uh, release of some of the restrictions on a lot of places, and we're also seeing countries standing up for themselves as sovereign countries. So, you know, a lot of good stuff. Okay, so I'm going to uh, share with the audience who our guest is, and when we come back from break, we will engage with him. Dr. James DeMeo has been a frequent guest on the other side of Midnight. I love his shows, and in fact, so much so that on the page I've put links to his previous shows with Richard C. Hoagland. James has formally studied the earth, atmospheric, and environmental sciences, and then on to natural scientific research, specifically focused upon Wilhelm Reich's controversial discoveries, 
subjecting those ideas to rigorous testing with positive verification of the original findings. DeMeo subsequently undertook drought-related field research in the arid American Southwest, Egypt, Israel, Sub-Sahara, Eritrea, and Namibia, Africa. His work on the Saharasia question constituted the most ambitious global cross-cultural research study to date on the subjects of human behavior, family, and sexual life around the world. His published works and scientific affiliations are far too numerous to mention here, and you can find more about them on the extensive bio that appears on this guest page. So we shall return after the break. You're listening to The Other Side of the News, and our show is called Heartbeat of the Heavens. And our guest tonight is Dr. James DeMeo. This is Kinthea with Timothy Saunders and Annette Driscoll. weeks ago that says, am I being selfish? And I said, absolutely, but I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children. I see the loss of rights and freedoms. I've lived long enough to know what's happened here, and I cannot stand back and simply comply. I'm going to resist those measures with everything that I have, uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, legally. I cannot allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. And this is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. To me, the masking is part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you, and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. And most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. Ted Kuntz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, the time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation, and I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kinthea, Timothy, and Aneta and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. And welcome back to The Other Side of the News. Our show tonight is called Heartbeat of the Heavens, and our guest is James DeMeo, Ph.D. Co-hosting with me tonight are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. James, are you with us? 
I am here. Hello. Fabulous. <laughs> I am so glad. I'm hoping that we can come to some understanding of my question. But before I go there, is there anything you would like to say first? Well, it's been a very interesting uh, thing for me to listen into your your uh, to Timothy and Annette, and I've learned a few things, and I can say that I'm right with you on all these these issues. My approach to it has been, of course, from this academic scientific side, to try to show that from that point of view that even in the in the depth of the of the data that they're presenting, the they don't have a case. They've misrepresented things. They've distorted things in the public representations. And, of course, I'm not alone in having come to that conclusion. You know, I started out like like most people thinking, my God, this is some horrible thing released from uh, the Wuhan biolab or something, some kind of bioweapon or something. But, you know, then I started thinking, what comes out of communist China that doesn't have the approval of the of the Politburo there, and really, I think I think a lot of the videos that we saw were a con job as well, part of the the larger scheme that they w- were producing. So, mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, some of those videos, you know, you saw people collapsed in the street and so on. For all we know, they were drunks. I don't speak man uh, Chinese to understand what they were saying. I saw a guy. A policeman berating some people that looked like they were playing a card game, game or gambling. Uh, but anyway, those kind of things made me skeptical at the beginning, and just for months I've watched as as the the claims got bigger and more exorbitant and uh, unbelievable. Uh, so that led me to write this paper starting around. Uh, October, I began writing in earnest on what I saw as the big errors in the conventional viewpoint about COVID. And uh, I've concluded today that, number one, there are an increased number of deaths for 2020. But number two, these are not caused by COVID-19. They're caused by the biological and psychological effects of the lockdowns themselves. Because when Mm -hmm. you lock people down, when you wreck an economy, you get an increase in heart disease and cancers. You get an increase in what is called deaths of despair. Uh, you get suicides. You get drug addiction going up and overdoses killing people. And all of these things put together, by my estimate in my research paper, uh, shows that as many as 600,000 people died in 2020 from just these things deaths by despair and the effects of the lockdowns and the forced masking. You know, there's a statistic that also shows that children are 10 times more likely to die by suicide than COVID and Native American children 10 times that. Yes. So it's really... This is a scandal of the highest proportions. And people better wake up because their children are suffering far more than they are. Because as an adult, most of us have gone through a lot of crazy things in in our lives, and we just sort of tough through those things. But children, my God, this is the most extreme event of this sort in my lifetime. We've, I've never seen anything like this happen before. And uh, I can imagine what these kids are going through is ten times worse than anything I ever did as a child. 
you know, yes, the isolation, the despair from isolation and the constant sense of fear that they should all be on high alert all the time and just, the disconnection parents, from other. Some parents are actually locking their kids up in, in basements and in, in storage rooms and whatever uh, to isolate them. And, the, you know, I remember when I was a boy, we had a puppy and we put the puppy in, a, in the kitchen and shut the door. Uh, to wean it off its dependency on its mother, and it cried and cried and cried. We're seeing the same kind of thing with young children. They're locking them away inside the parents' homes, and the children are crying, and uh, it's just absolutely horrible what's going Heart on. Heart-wrenching. Heart-wrenching. And uh, I'm even seeing pregnant mothers wearing masks. Imagine. Well, if they could, they would operate on them and put a mask on the fetus, too, you know? <laughs> Some people are just literally insane about this. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's interesting how you were talking about the statistics being manipulated because last week we had uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman on, and he was talking about how the statistics are being manipulated because they're not showing the data that they're taking it from and how it used to be that in the, the, the report it would be there. And now... It's in some attached supplemental that if you don't see it, you don't realize how the statistics are being manipulated. Then he was talking about how at least half of all these research papers are faulty, half of them. So the scientists that are looking at this, the, the daily, the doctors in the daily news, they're not doing the research to see, well, is this paper really accurate or is it not? The manipulation of the numbers is astounding. Well, it's, it's, this, is, this is, of course, nothing new, really. If you go back to Linus Pauling's work on the, on the benefits of vitamin C against colds, flu, and even cancer, you know, the National Cancer Institute did a hatchet job on him where they, you know, he, he said, you should never use people who have gone through chemotherapy and radiation therapy in the tests for the vitamin C trials. So what did they do? They selected a bunch of terminally ill people who had already gone through uh, chemotherapy and radiation. And, of course, it did nothing to benefit them to get the vitamin C under those kind of conditions. But, you know, that was what the news media reported. Right. And, you know, there's dozens of examples like this where the news media has partnered with the worst elements of medicine to promote things that are very health-destructive. And, of course, my, my research on Willem Reich was, you know, Reich was one of the original people who had his books burned in this country back in the 1950s. And it was the same kind of communist people who slandered him and got the Food and Drug Administration to initiate this kind of repression. Uh, these were Soviet people, Soviet spy rings and so on. They all ganged up to get rid of Willem Reich, who uh, once was a Marxist as a young man, and later he turned as a strong anti-communist. So they were really out to get him. Mm. And uh, so this is, this is nothing new except that in the magnitude of it. The magnitude of it is, is much greater than what we've ever seen before. Listen, would you like to take us through your graphs? Because I know you put in um, several graphs there that would illuminate the public as to what you're speaking of. Sure. Uh, Well, one of the first things, uh, 
in my paper, I, I, I list that PCR-confirmed cases do not support a claimed pandemic, and likewise, the death case ratios do not support a, a claimed pandemic. When when you read in the in the news about oh there's uh, eight thousand or uh, or ten twelve thousand new cases or I'm not sure what the numbers are today, but they they uh, report these uh, case numbers with great drama and uh, like uh, you know everybody expects that that's uh, a number of people who are going to die pretty soon, but the case numbers are are really way way out of proportion to the actual number of people who die and uh, the one of the things i do in my figure 1 uh which is posted up to your uh, to your webpage is show that the pcr antigen confirmed cases are are going up in this pulsating manner over over uh the year 2020 and uh, it, it, towards november and december they're peaking out at several hundred thousand cases uh, per day being uh, identified. And yet the death numbers throughout that entire period are way, way down at the bottom of that graph in a, in a thin gray line, which you, can hard, you hardly see it unless it's pointed out to you. Those are the numbers of the people who, who have died claimed from, uh, from COVID-19. Now, even if we accept that the PCR tests or the antigen tests are are valid, and I do not, I think I think uh, they're they're totally bogus. The PCR tests are really filled with all kinds of flaws and errors, and they're just—it's almost like Russian roulette. They're just uh, pointing a finger at, at people randomly in a way. But at any rate, if you even if you accept that, you have this this disconnect, which exposes the lack of causality. I mean, you've got this small, small number of people who are dying every day, somewhere between uh, 1,500 to maybe up to 4,000 a day, three or 4,000 a day. But these are people that are almost exclusively in the 65 age group and up, and they have 2.6 comorbidities for each person. Now, that means Somebody has diabetes and cancer. Somebody has heart disease and uh, and lupus. Somebody has uh, another two or two point six, on average, uh, comorbidities in in that group of people who are dying. So, what are they really dying of? Are they dying of this claimed uh, COVID nineteen as as identified through these flawed PCR antigen tests, or are they dying from the comorbidities which they've had over years? Before finally it, it, uh, they expire from those things, and just from the basic causality, uh, if you look at look at the numbers of of, uh, of cases uh, from Figure One at the end of the year of November and December, you see there's about 250,000 cases being identified per day, and the number of deaths is way down at the bottom. It's it's uh, a, a couple of thousand per day. And this is not what you expect with a truly living virus uh, infecting people and spreading around. If those cases really had living airborne virus in their systems, you would see those death numbers soaring upwards in a way that would match the, the graphic. And there's a, there's a deliberate kind of a lying that's going on in, in presentations of the case numbers and the death numbers. 
I selected this, the graphs I show come from an organization called Our World in Data, where they put both of the numbers equally on the same graph so that the, the thousands of people, the several thousand people dying is at way at the bottom, and then you go up to the 250,000 cases at the top. Well, this works out to be about 1% of the people who are pointed at by the PCR test as somebody carrying the living virus who's at risk of dying and infecting other people, 1% of them actually are the ones who are dying. Now, oh, if, my if, gosh. Uh, it's, it's a small, small percentage of those where the cases are being claimed are causing this. And this, this violates every rule of causality in the natural scientific uh, way of thinking. It just makes no sense. I'm so glad you're highlighting that. I know that Annette is chomping at the bit. She wants to jump in on this conversation. So I'm going to bring her in to continue with the graphs. Sure. Okay. I, I Actually, I'm, I'm really into what you're already saying. So just continue on, and then I'll, I'll ask my question after that. Okay. Well, I want to contrast. What, I, what you don't see in, my, in these graphs here are the standard way that they rep, misrepresent this. What they do is they present the data on a logarithmic scale. And what does that do? It, it, it amplifies the smaller numbers and suppresses the larger numbers. So you see a graph where the cases and the deaths are very close to each other. And that's, that's a misrepresentation because the world doesn't, we don't live in a logarithmic world. We live in the real world where numbers mean something. Absolute numbers mean something. Uh, so there's, uh, John Hopkins also makes one graph with the number of confirmed cases, and they make another graph of the deaths, but they, they make the scales different so that the, the, the death numbers peak out at the top of their graphs at three and 4,000, and the case numbers peak out at, at 250,000, and yet the graphs are put side by side and they look identical. Now, you and I, we can figure this out. We have some scientific uh, smarts, and we can figure out, hey, what, that's not accurate. But a lot of people, they don't know this. They look at these graphs, and they, they choke. You know, my God, you know, the, the impression that they're giving is that the cases are really the deaths. And so you hear things in the news like people or some politicians saying, well, you know, we had 3 million people die uh, just in the last uh, months or something like this, and they're, they're, they're just talking out of the fear of the fear porn that's being presented on, on COVID uh, cases. So <clears throat> now yeah. the other, yeah. Oh, I, I, I just kind of laughing. It's like I can hear my dad's voice going, you know, talking about statistics. And he says, you can make statistics say anything. I remember him saying that. And that's exactly how they do it. It's like, you know, the, the whole thing with the graphs, that's extraordinarily deceptive and no one's calling them out on it or, or well, there are people calling them out, but it's not, you know, the mainstream media sure, certainly isn't going to do it. You no. Go ahead. I have, to do a, I have a question, but you may be answering the question. So go ahead with what you were saying there. Okay. Well, the figure two that I have is a, is a graph uh, of similar size identifying the number of PCR antigen tests that are made in the United States. And of all the, both of these graphs, all my graphs are just for the United States. But the implication is global. Okay, but these PCR antigen tests show a graph that is nearly identical with the cases. 
so that as the cases were soaring upwards, it's because they're making more increasing numbers of tests. So the, the, the figure two shows a peaking out in uh, November, December of around 1.8 million tests were being made every day. And that's where you get the peak in the, in the cases. But again, the deaths are way down at the bottom. So you got a strong correlation between the number of tests being made and the number of cases being reported. But then neither of them correlate to the number of deaths. And this, again, it violates the principles of scientific causality. There's no correlation between the people dying uh, with these tests that are supposed to be identifying who's at risk of dying. But they don't. I mean, you cannot predict who is going to live and who is going to die from the PCR test. You cannot predict well, who's going to get sick and who's going to stay healthy. It's worthless, absolutely well, worthless. It's worthless on, on several counts. I mean, it, first of all, they have a fragment, and I mean a fragment as in at least 100,000 times less uh, code of the DNA than they need to have to actually identify it. It's like saying I found this, uh, this um, you know, little, I found a couple of black pieces of fur, and then I found a couple of pieces of white fur, and so therefore it's a zebra. Really? I mean, that's about how much yeah. they have to go on, first of all. And then the other thing is, is that the PCR test is, it's, it's a qualitative, not quantitative. So there's, there's no way that you can tell what the load of it, you know, this is, this is presuming that this is the way viruses are actually spread, which I disagree with, but let's just go with the conventional germ, germ theory thought and say, well, we have to have a certain viral load to even be contagious. Yes. I mean, and this test does nothing for that. The other thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, my understanding of the way they're calculating the the case demic here is that every time you get a test, you're a new case. And so I know lots of people that have had multiple tests. I have friends that work in healthcare industry. They've had many tests. My stepfather was having to have a lot of procedures done at the hospital. He had to have many. Uh, of these tests done, and every time he had like twelve of them, so he was like twelve cases. But it's one person who never had a positive result. Yeah, the, the, so, there is no standardized method of of doing this. It's so sloppy. The reporting is different from one state to the uh, to another, and from one hospital to another. But well, one and, of the points about PCR that's really important to remember is PCR is a mag it's a it's a magnification process. Mm -hmm. And it will take something that's in your body at one molecule or ten molecules, and it will it, it'll magnify it millions of times so that you have enough to to do some kind of research with it. So the question is, if if that's all you got to begin with is a couple of molecules of something, then how can it have any biochemical significance? And if you've only got a small, such a small, tiny amount of these viruses in your system that you need to use PCR to identify it, then that also implies that it's not replicating and hence it's not alive. So well, yeah, viruses aren't. <laughs> just I mean, the whole the whole issue of, of being of using PCR is an admission, a tacit admission that there's nothing of biochemical significance within your body, so they have to use PCR to magnify it millions upon millions of times in order to to be able to know it's there. 
Well, you know, that's, that's, uh, of course, this plays out where, you know, uh, Florida, DeSantos said, well, we need to know how many cycles. As soon as they had to report how many cycles, how much magnification was happening, uh, and, and the order of magnitude is, is logarithmic. So, yeah. uh, so as they had to report that all of a sudden, when they had to get real with it and, and show how much, how many, um, cycles they were running, all of a sudden the numbers drop way down. Because now they yeah. can't get away with these super high magnification. And all it's doing is actually all it's doing is showing, oh, there's genetic material present here. Really? That's, Great. That's basically correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, so It could be a living virus or a dead virus or fragments of a virus. Your, it could be your immune system has already accomplished the task and, and uh, confronted these things and, and destroyed them before you even got knew you were sick or anything. And uh, and the the PCR test will magnify all that and give a positive indication. Well, I had um, I had a joke about that at the way back at the beginning of this, and the thing was, oh yeah, it's such a it's such a vicious, virulent disease. You have to you have to get a test to know if you have it. I mean, just just you know, it's ludicrous when you think about it that that we have to have a test to find out if you have it. Really, don't you normally get sick when you're sick? I mean, you know, you're sick when you're sick. I don't know. Well, this is this is uh, <laughs> I call it medieval thinking. You know, you got a demon in you. How do we know you got a demon in you? Well, because you're not wearing your mask and you're being a violator of uh, social uh, these new crazy rules, and therefore you're disobedient. So you must have a demon in you. I mean, it, it's 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 like voodoo death. You know, a lot of people, especially old people, you isolate them. You tell them that they can't hug their ch grandchildren or talk to their friends, they're going to go into a death spiral from this. There's a phenomenon, a real phenomenon uh, in Haiti and a few other places called voodoo death. And the, the witch doctor will kill a chicken in front of you, slam it down on the ground and utter some curse words. And people die from this. People mm. die from psychological um, damage being done to them by people with authority figures, you know, like a, the doctor wearing the white coat is, is taking over the role in our society of what used to be done by priesthoods with black robes. And, uh, you know, we have a largely uh, uh, secular society where the black priest robe no longer carries the authoritative measures that it did in the Middle Ages. But now we got the white coat doctor that does. And they're, they're exploiting this. Now, I, I know a lot of doctors are not. But the ones at the top of the heap, the Anthony Fauci's and, and their partners they're in, in this, in this uh, crime, they're the ones who are exploiting their, their claimed expertise on this to scare the life out of people. And I, I really, it is, it is really malicious what they're doing. Yeah, and um, speaking of which, have you looked at this case that the uh, German attorney is bringing against the, the crimes of humanity, the thousand attorneys? Um, I know about it. I really mm -hmm. hope they're successful. But mm -hmm. the, the political system is so corrupted now, uh, I don't know. I don't know with how far they will get. Mm -hmm. You know, like what, what uh, Timothy was saying earlier about the Supreme Court, uh, or you did, I can't remember who, but... Um, yeah. We're relying on courts to give us justice, and we may not get it. It's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Of, I, mean, I I could have gone way into that whole thing with the court stuff, but 
Yeah, but there are other courts. I mean, the the there's the governmental courts, and then there's military courts, and there's special tribunals and things like that. So there is a possibility. This uh, I know the the one with the German attorney is. I wish I could remember his name. I've got a blank right now, but uh, he that is a that is a tribunal type court. So um, it's a international tribunal court. So um, there is a chance, but yeah, Broadgy, he's. I mean, he, this isn't his first rodeo. All you have to do is go back and look at his history and look at what he's done with jabs and what he's done with covering things up. And, and also, again, like I was saying, he is, uh, there's, there's total, um, conflict of interest. He owns patents. He was, yes. uh, one of the, the, the people that founded, um, Moderna. I mean, and there's all kinds of issues here. And of course, we're not going to hear it from the mainstream media, but, the one thing I'd say that's positive about this is it is getting people to go around and, and, and you know, root around, put their snouts down in the trough and, and look around for real stuff instead of having it handed to them. And I think more and more people are waking up to that, that they aren't trusting the media. So that's the good news. And, you know, there are people that are actually looking at science. Um, a nearly forgotten thing, science is, you know, so. <laughs> well. I used to teach in the universities for about a decade, and the thing that appalled me is how um, there was a slow curve of degeneracy in, in the natural sciences to where no criticism would be tolerated of mainstream theory. And that was not just, you know, that was way before COVID, but, you know, if anybody dared question Einstein or if anybody dared question... Um, other kinds of medical treatments, you would be thrown out on your ear. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. 
Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. And if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. This is Dr. Judy Mikovits, and I've really enjoyed being on the other side of the news radio show tonight with with Kinthea, Tim, and Anetta as well. It was really a great experience for me, and I think things like the other side of the news because we don't hear these things. I saw this horrific commercial on TV and I know them to have perpetrated fraud in vaccine court. So it's so important for radio shows like this to have discussions. And I really think these types of radio shows reach a very large audience and people are listening. the other side of the news tonight's show is entitled heartbeat of the heavens and our special guest is dr james DeMeo. my name is timothy saunders and i'm co-hosting with kintia and annette driscoll so james just before the break you were talking about the pcr now i unfortunately one of the people that i know one of the very few people i know that have actually had a pcr i refuse to call it a test uh, it was absolutely necessary. It was uh, required in order to 
a negative result wasn't necessary in order to pick up a boarding pass on a, an international flight. And that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I have to say that the event itself was pretty easy going. The nurse did not ram this swab right up into the lower sort of depths of my brain cavity. Um, actually just sort of wobbled it around up my, my nostrils, which I was quite re relieved about. However, that said, since that time, uh, maybe it's psychosomatic, maybe there was a micro dot on the end of the swab, maybe it's just pure coincidence, but I did go down with a cold, a sort of a silence uh, effect, uh, blocked inner eardrums, and it's still taken about a week and a half, almost two weeks to, to flush itself out of me. Now, I, I'm not a, a firm believer of um, sort of the mainstream uh, theories of, of, of viral theory. I, I really think there's something between terrain and uh, uh, theory as well. As well. I, again, I'm not a specialist, as you can hear, but I've certainly read an amount about this. But do you think there is any actual danger from the PCR, apart from the fact that the results are totally unreliable? Well, I, I have read about one poor soul who had the thing jammed so hard up his nose that uh, they perforated the lower uh, tissue barrier and he got some kind of a brain infection. Ouch. Uh, so it's, it depends on who does it, you know. I would prefer to have a, a gentle person uh, do it if I had to do it. And... Uh, but I, yeah, you know, I can't speak to any real uh, significant danger that I know of, other than if you get a positive and it, it's a meaningless positive, you know. Indeed, you're just like what another another brick in the wall, just another number in the statistics and the uh, manipulated charts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, I'd what I'd like to do is return to the to a couple more of these graphs where I, I think it's material that most people won't know about. Please do. Um, and the, the, after these COVID graphs that you already, that we've already talked about, uh, I've got two graphs on the seasonality of COVID, of the COVID deaths. As within, the, within the context of their own paradigm, they're saying that this COVID is, is uh, a unique viral thing and it shouldn't be related to seasons, but it is. The seasonality of COVID is that it peaks out in winter. That's when most of the deaths that they're identifying with through PCR, you're getting all these people dying in winter. And that's true for the northern hemisphere nations of Europe and North America. Um, we're seeing our, the, the main deaths in the winter months. In summer, it declines to nearly nothing. Uh, whereas in the southern hemisphere, where you've got South Africa, Argentina, Chile, Australia, and New Zealand also, they all peak out in their wintertime period, but it's a different season, of course. It's a different time of the year. It's, their winter is during our summer. So the season of, of southern hemisphere COVID is in August, June, July, August, and September. So what's going on there? I mean, we know that the symptoms of COVID-19, as they have described it, are very, very similar to standard influenza. And in fact, a lot of people have made note that while the COVID 
case numbers have gone up, the the numbers of influenza have vanished. Even during the period right now, when uh, when uh, we've got winter, and during last year, during the the uh, tail end of winter, the COVID numbers stayed at a very excuse me the the influenza numbers stayed at a very very low level, and uh, while the COVID numbers were increasing. So this this confusion of the symptoms of influenza and COVID-19 are very important because um, you're looking at similar kinds of symptoms of people with with uh, sinus, nasal, and throat infections, uh, coughing, uh, lung lung uh, getting the mucus down in the lungs. Uh, there's uh, in in cases of pneumonia, which is a deeper lung. A problem similar to influenza, but it gets down deeper into the lung. They've got this. They both got this. Uh, what they call a a uh, glazed glass or broken glass image on chest X-rays. Uh, you get fever. You get certain kinds of very similar things to the point where doctors uh, who are honest about this will say it's almost impossible to tell the symptoms of what they're calling COVID-19 from standard influenza or pneumonia. Now, in addition, the chest X-rays also have a difficulty making that that identification. So a lot of people are saying, some of the critics of COVID are saying that it's really just influenza that they're identifying here, and it's nothing new. And this is this is what's killing a lot of people in the in the COVID-19 category because they've erased the uh, the the category for uh, or the numbers. From influenza, so it's been a kind of a bookkeeping thing where they've shifted the deaths from these other known uh, uh, lung uh, problems into the COVID nineteen category. James, uh, just if we go back a few months, I mean, it's not a few months; it's almost a year now. But I recall, you know, interviews with doctors in I think it was New York and that, that sort of area talking about how. You know, the lung x-rays were like they'd never seen anything before. There were people coming forward and saying that it looks like these people were, um, had, had like oxy oxygen deprivation. Um, you know, they, that was a very clear, uh, remark. Do you, do you think that was also part of the marketing or is it something which, I mean, you remember the whole ventilation thing as well? Do you remember you know, Donald Trump coming on TV saying, you know, we're going to have, the best ventilators in the world. We can have, you know, millions of them delivered in, in record time like nobody's ever seen before, et cetera, et cetera. So what happened to all of that? Well, I, I've got in my paper, I've got an extended quote from two specialists uh, from the University of California in San Francisco. It's titled, Is it possible to tell the difference between flu symptoms and COVID-19 symptoms? And basically they're saying it's very difficult because both Here's a, here's a quote. Both the flu and the COVID-19 have a variety of overlapping symptoms, fevers, chills, body aches, upper respiratory symptoms like runny nose, sore throat, lower respiratory systems like cough and pneumonia, and some gastrointestinal symptoms like nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Well, if, if these, this is a quote from specialists in COVID-19, and they're saying that it's very, very difficult to tell the two apart. And what I found interesting also is that among the virologists who make the electron microscope images of these corona-type viruses, they're saying that it's almost impossible to tell the difference between a, a corona, a COVID-19 virus, uh, coronavirus, versus a, uh, this, these prior kinds of, of uh, 
of coronaviruses, which um, have occurred in, with Middle East uh, respiratory ailments and other forms of SARS, which is a sudden onset, uh, sudden uh, acute um, SAR <laughs> respiratory uh, syndromes. I have to remember that. Um, so I, I think you've got doctors who are not all that hep uh, or up on this stuff. They're 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 dealing with things that they've never dealt with before, and they're 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 basically towing the party line. And you have to remember that the kind of criticisms that we're talking about these are rejected. They they don't hear them, or they don't want to hear them. Um, I, I, I could give stories I know from people who have had uh, COVID-19 tests, and I actually give a couple of these in my paper where it's it's just heartbreaking, the things that happen to these people. You know, if you go on a ventilator, they have to give you paralytic drugs in order to prevent you from the natural reflexes to pull that damn tube out of your throat. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they have to give people a paralytic drug so that they're lying there, maybe they're uh, awake and but they can't move. I mean, you talk about a hellish death. Some of the statistics that I've seen on ventilator use show that upwards of 80% of the people who go on a ventilator just die on them. Well, I, I remember also there was a nurse that came forward. I forget her name, actually. I think she was from uh, actually uh, Florida, but she was working up in New York, and I think she she quit and sort of did a YouTube um, yes, announcement. That, yeah. yeah, and she was saying that Somehow, I don't know how true this is, but I mean, somehow the patients were in the bed in their room in the hospital and the equipment was dragged out into the, the, the corridor and the tubes were extended, the ventilator tubes were extended so that the nurses did, or the doctors did not even need to go into each room because of fear of, you know, uh, infection. So that is like really primitive butchery up to uh, where we where we are now. But, you know, a year later... Nobody's even talking about ventilators. Nobody's even talking about uh, uh, this subject, which was such a major, you know, headline less than twelve years, twelve months ago. Yes. Well, it's it's uh, you know I call this thing uh, Trump's greatest mistake. He he, if you remember, before he got sick, before he got a COVID nineteen diagnosis from a test, mm. he was promoting hydroxychloroquine. He was, yes. Every, every report I've heard, that stuff works. It works marvelously for all kinds of respiratory ailments. And uh, But instead, he went on some very expensive um, gene therapy stuff. I don't know. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it, it was something um, retro. Um, I can't remember the name of the drug. But it was an expensive thing that most people couldn't afford. And then afterwards, he forgot and just no longer mentioned hydroxychloroquine. Uh, but I, I seem to remember he did announce that he was going to make this available to every man, woman, and child in America. And then I think after that point, he forgot. Well, it was also there was two studies where they condemned hydroxychloroquine, saying that more people died on it than, than survived. But this turns out to have been hoax things where um, the uh, amount that they were uh, prescribing for that study uh, was like 10 times over what, what people normally gave who have some intelligence and knowledge on how to use that drug. And if you overdose on it, it's toxic. And so people could die on it if you give them too much. 
Well, water's pretty healthy, isn't it? But I mean, if people drown, then it's it's no longer healthy. So it's it's, a, it's all about the the balance and the amount. And then there was another study against hydroxychloroquine, I believe it was, where uh, the people who actually did the study were um, were coaches, and one guy was a porn star. Uh, you might remember that that report where. Why uh, Why would you just, say that? Why would I remember that part? Well, they. <laughs> They sat around a table and made up their data. Okay. You know, it was it was a total con job, and uh, none of them were had any scientific expertise uh, at all. And I thought it would be one of these kind of hoax things that, that sometimes people try to get into the journals uh, that are so outrageous that they're trying to embarrass the journals for their lack of scientific uh, credibility. But this was a real study and actually, uh, well, it was a, a real report that got caught only by accident. Uh, people didn't come forward and say, ah, oh, look what we did. You know? mm -hmm. James, I've, I'll be very honest. I'm always honest, but very, very direct. I've not had a chance to read every page of your paper. I, I've certainly looked through and I have scan read most of it, but not all of it for sure. So I will have missed paragraphs and maybe chunks here and there as well. But it, it seems very well put together. It seems uh, validated. It has huge amount of references and so on. And I would encourage all of our listeners to take it or download a copy. I know that you've also uploaded it to. Could you please remind us which website it is so that people can actually download it at source? Well, the, the websites are um, given on your page for this lecture. Okay. But it, I, have a, I have a presence on researchgate.net and also on academia.edu. These are the two big uh, international websites where scientists post up their research papers. I'd like um, to add that it's also link number one on the guest page, your link number one. Yes, that's true. You can download it directly from uh, uh, the other side of the news uh, website that they have a web page that they put up for this uh, for this interview. Mm. James, would would you mind if I sidestep slightly? Because while this is an absolutely fascinating subject, and, and I'm absolutely delighted that you've you've prepared this, you know, this succinct paper, but I'm also absolutely fascinated with you know, the huge amount of work you've done during your career on William Wright and the, you know, your continued development in, in this field. Um, you know, he was such a controversial figure uh, and his science was, it seemed to work in so many different areas of sort of, you know, uh, rain seeding and and uh, healing and, and and all sorts of other different areas as well. But may I ask you, you know, what what led you to become involved in in this in the first place? What was the spark that that uh, you know set your career path in in this direction to research and then obviously you know to to, to also further develop and, and do a huge amount more experimentation and, and science of your own. Well, it's partly uh, in my youth, I saw too many of my relatives die horrible deaths in the hospitals. And my family was, uh, my father particularly, was interested in uh, nutrition and uh, alternative methods of, uh, of healing and so on. He was an unusual fellow. So I had that background. And when I, was, when I went into the university, um, 
uh, I would I I had read some of Reich's stuff and it was so fascinating and yet so contradictory to what I had been exposed to in my my science education. Um, I w- I it had to be either totally true or totally rubbish. And so I I had to find out because it was so interesting. Um, I I couldn't let it go. And so I started doing experiments. And uh, bit by bit, uh, everything that I tested that Reich claimed, I got positive results on those experiments and verified them. Incredible. The most, uh, you know, I wrote a book on the Oregon Energy Accumulator, which was this controversial thing that got Reich thrown in jail and his books banned and burned by the by the Food and Drug Administration. And so I wrote this book, The Orgone Accumulator Handbook. It's still available almost every place. And uh, I give the details on what, what this marvelous device does. It collects the uh, life energy straight out of the atmosphere, what some people are calling the cosmic ether of space. But it really is a, it's a, it's got a living property. It, it has a relationship to water. And so the accumulator will draw this energy into this box-like structure that is composed of alternating layers of ferromagnetic and dielectric materials. So you've got these different layers of steel wool, for example, which is ferromagnetic, and uh, sheep's wool or fiberglass, which have a high dielectric constant. So you make the layers of that with the steel on the inside, and you can put your hand inside smaller of these devices and you can feel a radiant energy and a tingling effect on your hand. So it's a sensible energy. And uh, what I found is that it will boost the growth of plants, uh, seedling studies, which I did over a three-year period, um, increasing the growth of the seedlings by about 30%, which is, you know, that's not a small thing. It's which a is rather stunning, big thing. absolutely stunning. I worked with a Dr. Blasband in a laboratory uh, where we did studies on cancer mice. I was his lab assistant for a while. And uh, he showed boosting of the lifespans of cancer mice by two times those of the controls, 200% extension of their lifespan. Reich had done that. He got three times, 300% extension of the lifespan but but his his research or his his results were not well received and he was cast out wasn't he oh he he was uh, barred from uh, he couldn't get anybody to give him a break so he wound up publishing his experimental results in his own books and in his own journals and he gathered a collection of physicians and other scientists around him who were interested now, the food and drug came in, and they they invaded his laboratory. They took away stuff. They uh, carted off tons of books. It was the biggest example of book burning in American history, mm. and yet most people don't even know about it. Well, and, I'm uh, I'm you know I'm full of encouragement for for what you do, and and I'm I have started reading uh, your book, and I, I've been studying this subject on and off uh, for some years, but I'm I'm clearly no expert. But uh, I, I do intend to build an accumulator at some point. And also, I believe the organ blankets is also another way of uh, sort of healing yourself locally. People like to put it over their leg or their arm or their wrist or whatever is, is damaged. And yeah. that will also heal uh, yeah. or accelerate the healing, natural healing 
qualities. It's a lot easier to build an Oregon blanket, too. So mm. I give instructions in my book on how to do both the, the accumulator box, which is like a squat, short squat tel- telephone booth. I don't know if we people even know what a telephone booth is anymore. <laughs> I still but, remember. You know, yeah. yeah, you sit in them and, and inside these accumulator box, and uh, you can feel that kind of stimulus all over your whole body. What it does is it charges up the red blood cells primarily, and this this causes a, a, a boost in your immune system. So basic immuno, immunological factors are uh, are enhanced, and from there you get a whole plethora of benefits. Now, wouldn't that be a handy thing right now to boost people's immune system, whether it is directly from some entity called COVID nineteen, or if it's just from the psychological? bullying from the establishment. Either way, the immune system surely would be a good idea to boost it in this day and age. Wouldn't well, it be I, one? I have, I have two or three reports that came to my attention from people, uh, contacts I have overseas, where they used the organ accumulator and nothing else, and uh, it eliminated whatever symptoms they had. Now, whether it was influenza or pneumonia or covid uh, uh, I don't know, but uh, in one case, the guy was actually hospitalized. He had a positive COVID test, PCR test, and he he uh, got up and left the hospital and uh, <laughs> treated himself at home, and I think that might have saved his life because he was an older fellow. I think it probably did. I don't wish to push you in a corner, especially I don't want you to say words that you don't feel comfortable with, but one of the questions that come to my mind straight away is how is it that for example, uh, Willem Reich was cast out and uh, you have been able to avoid the same result, yet your work has, has done nothing but prove Willem Reich's work and you've gone much further as well. I mean, you've de- not only demonstrated, but you've proven again and again in a scientific way that this is a real science, that it, it is something real, it, it does manifest Rain, it does change the state of water, it does heal. Well, first and foremost, I'm, I've avoided to treat people as a physician would. Mm-hmm. I think if I had set up a clinic, and I, I wish I could set up a clinic and treat people with this, it would have uh, taken off like a rocket, first of all, and second of all, I would have been arrested, you know, for practicing medicine without a license or... Uh, using non-standard care or, you know, whatever it is that they arrest doctors now for. You know, the doctors who even use vitamin pills uh, can get arrested now if they're, if they're uh, using it for, uh, for cancer, for example. Uh, so medicine is a field, uh, if you go into it, then you cannot talk about this stuff openly. I know doctors who use the accumulator privately, secretly. It's almost like the Middle Ages when they were digging up bodies to study uh, anatomy, you know? So that's that's the main reason. As a research scientist, I can speak about my work, I can talk about it, uh, publish about it, but getting the word out is, is uh, there's, a, there's a pretty much of a blacklist for anybody who talks about Reich within the mainstream of the scientific journals. I mean, there's a few journals where I've gotten well, James, a really good open result. But very James, few. I really want to hear the end, but we're just coming up to the bottom of the hour, and we're going to fade out for a little, a couple of minutes, and bring some music in. 
But let's continue this after the break. You're listening to the other side of the news. Our objective from the beginning, um, if you look back through English history, the common law and equity both developed under different systems. The common law was originally always the the original system of law, which was biblically based. And it was handed down orally from person to person over the years because there wasn't any any printing press or writing until the Middle Ages, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas equity, however, what would happen is the common law at that time was extremely strict. Very, very harsh. And most people fail to to realize the uh, the strictness for. And I know, for example, um, one criminal charge sometimes could take four or five pages to lay it out of everyone. And if you missed a, a, a t- dotting an I, you the, the guy could have the charge thrown out. So what developed was eventually people who thought that the common law was too harsh would petition the king for redress, and then the queen, king I should say or queen, would determined if they were going to have mercy on him and what they were going to do. Um, sometimes they were thrown to the wind and said, too bad, you're, you're out of luck. Other times they would get redress. And what would happen as more and more people started going to the king, he couldn't handle the workload. So he appointed it to the chancellor. Mm-hmm. And that he started doing it, which then became the court of chancery or equity. And of course, a number of principles developed in equity, I think there's 12 or 13 of them now, um, that developed over the years where it basically was a uh, a separate form of, of law based on fairness and various principles that developed parallel to the common law. And then early in the 1900s, they were fused into one court because you had different courts, common law and you had equity. And they fused them into one court where the same court would apply both systems of law. And if there was a conflict, and only if there was a conflict, the common law would prevail. Hi, I'm David Kevin Lindsay from Canada, and I would urge everybody be able to support the other side of the news with the news media all over the world essentially promoting the government narrative on virtually every issue out there everybody needs an alternative source of accurate truthful information and the other side of the news provides that information that source of information from a variety of speakers all over the world with personal knowledge and experience that they can share with everybody in over 160 countries that they're involved and that they go to, to show everybody in the world what they are doing to support and encourage everybody else to also stand up for freedom issues throughout the world. I would urge everybody on a regular basis to listen and support the other side of the news. And welcome back to the other side of the news. This evening, we have our guest, Dr. James DeMeo, and our show is titled Heartbeat of the Heavens. And my name is Annetta, and I'm co-hosting with Timothy Saunders and Cynthia. And we left off talking to you, James, about uh, the some of the things that the, the organ can help. And I was actually really interested in two things uh that that came up in my I've had a lot of questions, but I'm kind of sitting here holding back. But um, I wanted to talk about the psychological boosting 
is there psychological boosting that you've observed and uh, what types of things does it work on with all of the stress that we have right now? People are really, really strained and uh, there's a lot of depression. Um, there's a lot of people that are stressed out, lack of money, blah, blah, blah. We all know what that is. What's your experience with that with this? Well, I'll, I'll cite two studies done in Germany in the uh, 80s and early 90s uh, on the psychophysiological effects of the Reich accumulator on human beings, which showed that there's a general excitation and a, of the parasympathetic nervous system from using the accumulator. The parasympathetic nervous system is something that um, gives you the ah, the relaxation, the expansion, where you feel more relaxed, you feel more centered, uh, your perception, uh, clair you get greater clarity, the fog lifts, that sort of thing, as opposed to the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight and flight thing, where you, you brace yourself and you get ready for fighting or for running or for for whatever. Uh, so the parasympathetic nervous system is, is stimulated by the organ accumulator. That's very clear from these two double-blind controlled studies. Uh, from German universities. Um, so I know cases where people who started using the accumulator lost their depressive qualities. They, they perked up more. Um, uh, people who are, are ambulatory, who are um, bedridden with uh, certain kinds of ailments, they, they wind up uh, sitting up they become more perky, more alive. They get their interests back of what they were doing before they got sick. And within a, a period of time, they're up and out of the bed and going out into the world again. Um, I wouldn't call it a miracle box, but it's, it's the basic life energy from which all life was formed. And it exists everywhere. And it's, it's like we are fish who deny the existence of water. Uh -huh. We are immersed in this energy which surrounds us, and it fills all the space. Reich used to say there is no vacuum. He did the, some of the original experiments, which today are called the zero-point energy kinds of experiments, where he was taking high-vacuum tubes and charging them up inside the organ accumulator and showing all these anomalous effects. Um, the accumulator has it, it will build up an electrostatic charge inside itself spontaneously without any friction like you normally think of a rubbing a, a, a plastic rod with a cat's fur or something um, and it gets a, an electrostatic spark well you can get similar kinds of effects inside the organ accumulator but without any friction which is sort of unheard of and so for these kinds of reasons of these anomalies uh, it's been a hard sell to the physicists who think they know everything, and they don't really. They've they've uh, they've painted themselves into a corner where anything like Reich's orgone energy is simply dismissed uh, out of hand. You know, Reich used to say they refused to look through the telescope of his of his work. He was always comparing how Galileo's critics refused to even look through the telescope to see if there were mountains on the moon or spots on the sun. And uh, and in the same way, all the critics who attacked Reich never did even one experiment. I, I documented that by studying all of the work of the critics as well as Reich's work. 
And I wound up producing a, a master's thesis and a doctoral dissertation at the University of Kansas on the subject of Wilhelm Reich's original work. And I think I was the first one to ever do that since uh, the time when Reich had been uh, put into prison. So there's not been very many people doing that kind of research to investigate Reich. There are some, but most of them are uh, are, are dead now. Uh, they were uh, of the older generation than myself. And uh, there's a few here and there that are, that are continuing with this kind of research, but it doesn't get any support. Uh, I think I'm unique in, in having built up my own organ biophysical research laboratory where I can actually do these experiments myself and uh, I get a little bit of support from private donors, but uh, all my works, for example, are banned from Wikipedia, uh, which is not surprising. I guess it's a badge of honor, really. That, that's a badge of honor. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier in the show, when you're over the target, they really come at you. I mean, when there's something, they're trying to protect something. They're trying to protect their, you know, their criminal way of making money from, from illness. And, I mean, I'll be very direct about it. I, I, I have zero faith in, in, in the medical thing. And, and for good reason, I have personal stories. But, you know, I had a, um, I had a mentor who taught me um, how to use this device that I have sitting right behind me. And he called it a zero energy balancer. And what it did was it focused what he said was the plasma energy, which I believe is the same thing that we're speaking of, and has amazing abilities to you know, do everything from reduce pain to reset the immune system. It has, uh, you, you could do lab work on people and actually have blood change. Um, you can have uh, neurotransmitters change, all of that, all from this device that it's it looks like uh, plumbing parts you know and it doesn't even plug into the wall it doesn't have any electricity or anything like that it's still it gathers it from what we're living in we're swimming in this stuff all the time so i totally i totally understand that and the idea that they won't look through the telescope they de the denial of it my, my father was a biomedical scientist and he hit this all the time it was constant you know um i i did work in electromagnetic research and they were always telling me what I couldn't do, but the, 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 the fruit was, was born in what, what you couldn't do. That's where the, the answers were. So I get well, it. You know, the, the fruitfulness of a theory is a, is a sign of its accuracy. So if you have a big theory that everybody believes in and is working in for decades and there's no fruit that is produced from it, mm -hmm. then it's not a very good theory. That's right. <laughs> doesn't predict how, how nature or, or materials behave. You know, it's a little, kind of worthless, really. So, uh, yeah, you'll have to send me an email about uh, what you're talking about because I'm always curious to learn new things. Mm, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit, I, I go a little bit further with the idea of have they researched the, uh, where we're going back to the parasympathetic, and we know um, a lot of things about that, the um, psychophysiological things are they are they able to or have they tested i know they're able to have they tested this to see how it changes the chemistry in the body and things or has that kind of work been done with this minimally very minimally um i'm not a chemist myself but uh i've done work on the spectroscopy of water 
Uh, if you use uh, uh, distilled water that has a, a, a rather flat, and you calibrate your spectrometer with that, and mm-hmm. then you have another sample of dis- distilled water where you charged it up in the accumulator, you get these big peaks of w- absorbance in the far ultraviolet and uh, fluorescence in the blue frequencies, blue and near ultraviolet. So there's something going on with water that can absorb this orgone energy and carries it uh, to some extent, and then it, it, it will glow with a bluer color. This is why I say that a lot of these natural lakes and hot springs where the water has this mm-hmm. bluish color, this is because it's, they are charged with this life energy, which, as I proved with my spectrographic uh, experiments, uh, that's why when you go and you bathe in some of these natural hot springs, you wind up getting healed of, of uh, either small or even large uh, serious ailments. And oh. it's also interesting that the United States used to have dozens of health spas situated on natural hot he- spring healing waters, and the FDA shut them all down. Mm, yes, true. Well, do you think this has anything to do with the phosphorescence in the ocean? Like, uh, you know, where those creatures that are picking up and, and generating um, generating light? Or is this something separate? I mean, do you see a connection here? I think it's some. It, there's some overlap, but I think basically we're talking about two different things. One is where you have tiny microbes. You can actually see them in a microscope. Mm-hmm. And when they become excited, then they glow with this color. And if you've got enough of them in a wave when it crests, uh, it'll, it'll make the whole wave look like it's glowing. Well, it is glowing. Um, but on the other hand, um, water that is uh, energetically charged will have this kind of blue color. And I'm sure you've seen some lakes and streams mm-hmm. and so on that have this brilliant blue that all you know it gives you the subjective impression that it is glowing and other times you see water that is it just doesn't it's flat it's dead it doesn't have any kind of a, a glow to it yeah well i mean you know water's really interesting because since it's so um it's it's so easy to electromagnetically template any of it anything actually you can template almost anything onto water um, and that, so that, that's, that's really, I hadn't thought about that in the way that it could pick up that energy. So how does this work with, with the idea of like, uh, you know, we, 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 there's studies out there that show when a uh, water is subjected to microwaves or, or, uh, cell towers or things like that. And it, and it degrade essentially degrades the water. Does this have the ability to recharge it and bring it back to its natural state? And if so, how would one go about doing that? Well, uh, first of all, to stop the, the exposure to the microwaves. People all, all, always ask me, oh, I have this problem. Can I just build an accumulator and feel better? And I say, well, if you've got a problem because your air is dirty and you're smoking cigars and drinking a lot and you're in an area with uh, intense microwave radiation from a cell tower, uh, building an organ accumulator is not the first thing you want to do. The first thing you want to do is move to a healthier environment or take steps to block out those radiations and, uh, and do other things that bring you more on the path to health. But uh, an organ accumulator will do a lot, of, a lot of things for people in spite of uh, 
with with certain limitations their their unhealthy left lifestyles and such but then of course it doesn't become a permanent kind of a thing you're constantly uh taking a step forward and then taking a step back and so forth so how does this work with people with autoimmune are you seeing that because we're actually moving into this with the jab i think we're going to see this huge uptick in the autoimmune based on how mrna works so how does that look? We've got that coming up in general, but now we're going to have a big surge. So do you see this? Is, this? this is very difficult because uh, autoimmune is where you your, your life, in a general way, you could interpret it as the life energy you have is highly excited. And it's like a feverish kind of quality to it. The organ energy isn't just some static thing. It can flow smooth and like like water, or it can be in a boiling state, highly excited. Uh, and it, it, fevers can be helpful uh, if you have mild fevers every once in a while. It helps boost your immunity to other things. But autoimmune functions um, have to be treated, I think, more carefully with the accumulator. I give some uh, references on, on some of the medical people who have studied that in, in my book. So it just has to be used with care for what Wright called overcharged biopathies. You know, you have this type, uh, type of behavior from a cancer patient who often is very low energy. So a cancer patient can soak up a lot of energy from the accumulator and without any risk of overcharge. But uh, certain kinds of hypertension, they've already got a lot of energy. In fact, they've got an explosive amount of energy sometimes if they're they're in an enraged kind of character structure. So they don't need more energy from the accumulator. They need to find a way to discharge their energy or lower, lower their energy level. I want to get Cynthia in here too. I know she has a question. So if we wanted to experience this orgone energy or these different types of healing modalities, what's within reach for us? Is there something you can suggest they would do? Well, at this point, I'm suggesting that people read my books. Okay. uh, Because I've got a lot of books and I've got a lot of research papers that are out there and uh, some are free for the download. Some are, are, they have to pay money to buy them. They answer a lot of the questions that uh, the basic things that people would ask anyhow. Okay. So it saves, saves me from having to repeat myself. So if they go to your online bookstore, is there something that will like highlight for them what you know a beginner should start with? I would say the Orgone Accumulator Handbook. That's the most popular book I've written because it's educational and it shows people how to build stuff. James, have you done any experimentation with auras? Um, People think, some people think they don't exist at all. I I can see them um, on occasion. You mentioned a blue glow, and and somebody who is healthy is often said to have a sort of a blue aura. Do you think there's a connection there? Well, I've seen uh, auras under certain circumstances when the light is just correct. Uh, It often surprises me because I I spent a lot of time trying to reproduce. or as in a, in a scientific way where I could uh, see them on demand, so to speak. And I never was very successful. But every once in a while, when the light is just right and something is going on and I look at somebody and I can see they've got this distinct aura around them, around exactly. their head or whatever. And it's, uh, 
it's not just on the head. It's a whole body kind of thing. Exactly. Now, I've got a friend I, I, in Canada who is an electronics engineer, and he's developed something called the life energy meter, experimental mm. life energy meter. And it's based upon a discovery of Reich. He invented something called the orgone energy field meter. And with this device, you can measure the energy field of people in a quantitative way. What so do you measure? What units do you measure in? Is it you measure in Reichs? No, it's, <laughs> it's actually got a... a a percentage scale from zero to uh, 100%, and you have to calibrate it to the zero point, and then you can move it close to something uh, that has an energetic charge, whether it's a person or a glass of water or a piece of fruit, and depending upon the, the proximity, it will show an increased or decreased reading. So then if you if you standardize the distances, then you have an instrument that you can use to to get a, a, a reading on the variable intensities of things according to a standardized distance. That is fascinating. So it seems that every president should be tested before they come to office. <laughs> well, that's a qualitative thing. You know, uh, the quantity of, you know, you can have the biggest son of a bitch in the world and a uh, lying, scheming psychopath, and he can have a very strong energy field. So it's not a matter of the strength of the energy field. It's what people do with their energy. Mm -hmm. so it's an emotional energy. It's a cognitive energy. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it would be nice if we had a, a bullshit meter or something like that that you could, you could tell <laughs> if uh, people were lying and so on. Yeah. We're not I think that's yet. when automatically fitted at birth. Yeah. yeah. James, before we, I mean, I can't believe the show is uh, evaporating very quickly, but before we, we close, I would really very much like to ask you to comment on some of the experiments you did. I think it was in Israel. I could be wrong, but on, on rain seeding. I mean, this is something which, you know, many people think is out of science fiction, but I mean, you, you, you actually manifested significant results, I believe. Well, we call it, uh, the, the generic term is called cloud busting, and it isn't seeding. There's no chemicals involved. Okay. It's a purely energetic thing, just like the uh, organ accumulator. Reich invented it, and he used it to, uh, to bring rain in the deserts of the American Southwest. I did that. I did a systematic study of, of rain uh, increases in the American Southwest and showed a rainfall doubling effect for the time period about a week after our operations. And it was, there's a persistence effect, too. Once you get the rain going in such a dry area, it will persist for some uh, unpredictable length of time. But I was asked by the government of Israel to come over there in the early 90s and help end a serious drought they had. And I did so. They paid the expenses, and um, we built one of these instruments that Reich uh, designed. And it worked marvelously. I, now, I had been trained in this by some of Reich's uh, own trainees, so I knew what to do with it, and it uh, it worked marvelously, ended uh, the, the worst drought in their history with the greatest amount of rain in their history. So it was quite remarkable. But the meteorologists there that got, were very narrow-minded, and uh, they blamed the rains on Mount Pinatubo erupting on the other side of the Earth six months earlier. Of course. That's the reason, yeah. The most important experiment I did was in the nation of Eritrea in East Africa, near the Horn of Africa. 
And I had a five-year project that went on there, and we literally uh, changed the equation of their, their food supply and the, the greenness of the landscape and so on. Um, unfortunately, uh, again, the, the nasty people kind of tore me apart with slander, and they, they pulled strings to make the government, which was dependent upon international funding for all kinds of things, to abandon that project. But we had the proof, and what's more than that, this was the time when immense amounts of rain went into the Nile River, flowed down the Nile River, filled up Lake Nasser behind the mm-hmm. Aswan High Dam, and overflowed into the Sahara Desert where five gigantic new lakes were created. This is incredible. call them the Toshka Lakes. The Toshka Lakes, T-O-S-H-K-A. You can go on, uh, go online and look it up, and you'll find all kinds of evidence. These lakes were formed during that five-year project that we were doing in Eritrea. And uh, you can look at Eritrea uh, geographically with the Nile River tributaries. You can see where the, the effects were in Eritrea carried over into these same Nile River areas. So it's, it was what I call an unbelievable result. I mean, who's going to believe it? I mean, I, I, but I was there. I did the work. I saw the rains coming down, and uh, we didn't learn about the Toshka Lakes until uh, into the fourth year of a five-year project. Or actually, we learned, we learned about it after the project was finished. Uh, but the big, biggest rain started in, uh, I think, uh, 1998 when we were there working with three different of these Reich machines put in different places around the, the nation of Eritrea. And uh, that's what's possible. Yeah. You, know, you talk about uh, fruit, the fruitfulness of somebody's theory. This, Reich was correct on so many things, and yet today he is erased from the conventional scientific mind. So, James, do you think that you have competition in uh, weather, weather manipulation at the moment? I mean, we just recently saw cold temperatures come to Texas. Do you think that is a natural phenomenon, or could there be a, a hidden hand at work? Well, I, uh, it, it certainly wasn't the first time they've had uh, cold weather like that. and it, um, So I, I tend to... I tend to err on the side of nature than to uh, try to think that there's uh, somebody who's doing crazy things. Um, The biggest error that people make, uh, and I know quite a few things on this, is to make a drought worse or they create a drought. That's the usual error when working with a cloudbuster. Most of the people I know who, who are trained in this work are very decent people who want to benefit humankind and they're not out to uh, to create havoc, but uh, but then I, I I can't know everything. You know, it could be some uh, some crazy person or some evil government is scheming against the United States because you know in the United States, Reich is considered a nutcase, right, by conventional science. But I know for a fact that the Chinese were working with this. I know for a fact. Uh, it was done in Tibet. I know for a fact that the Iranians, who hate our guts uh, for the most part, um, had a scheme going and to turn it into a weapon of war. And I, I can't reveal how that, how I know that, but it's from rather common kind of sources, internet and so forth. Um, so this is something that it's a it's a tragedy that 
that it isn't taken seriously, or at least it's taken seriously by only some of the some of the bad guys in the world who uh, who may be abusing it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking speculatively because mm-hmm. I, I, people who are trying to conceal stuff, you know, you never really know what they're doing for sure. Uh, but I, I did my work, and I published papers on it, and uh, I put all the reports out there for the world, uh, for better or worse. Uh, sometimes I think I shouldn't have done that, but Reich did. Reich put it out there for the world as well, uh, with the exception of certain things that he kept uh, pr- more private, and that's the same with myself. So, James, we're coming up on uh, hard on the end of the show. What would you recommend that our listeners would do in order to come out of this whole pandemic smiling what would you do to sort of is there a summary or some some pointers you could offer well i think a lot of the things that you pointed out in your in your narrative uh, are very important people have to lose their fear and i'm not advocating that people do crazy things that will put them in jeopardy of going to prison but i think it's important to go right up to the edge I think it's important when people are yelling at you about masks that you look them in the eye and you say, this is all bullshit. You're you're trying to, where's your swastika, buddy? You know, that kind of thing. Or if you feel more comfortable talking to them in a calm way, um, maybe that's the better way to do it. It's hard to know. But you got to start talking to your friends and neighbors and sharing things like share all these research papers uh, with friends and family that show that uh, that COVID-19 isn't all what it's cracked up to be. So truth is powerful. You have to get the truth out there. Absolutely. And also with, you know, a great paper like you've done, you, you know, you've made a contribution to a huge volume of information that is available. And uh, there are hundreds of thousands of doctors and uh, respected individuals who are you know, literally um, speaking the truth. Uh, not that you'll see it on mainstream media, but uh, it's out there. It just you just need to search. It's a little bit harder than you know the top surface. Yes, and your program, I must say, compliment you. Uh, you're doing a great job in assisting to get around these barriers of censorship and erasure that the mainstream media is doing. Uh, so it's very important, and I congratulate you for the work you're doing. Well, that's extremely kind, and I uh, congratulate you on your great work, and thank you very much for coming on to, to share your experience with us. Well, my pleasure, and thank you very much. So despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, activists, and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research and stop acquiescing, and to stand up for what you believe in respect to others. You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 48th edition is entitled Heartbeat of the Heavens, and you'll be able to listen to this free of charge at the other side of the news, excuse me, the other side of midnight.com forward slash TOSN. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with co-host and producer Kintia, co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll, offer special thanks to our guest, 
Dr. James DeMeo. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you on our next edition next Friday. Good night. Good night, all. Thank you.